A popular Outcast production. Welcome to another episode of the Portable Power Podcast, the only mobile video games podcast that has artwork so sexy that Instagram will ban it. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Mark Matters. And Emra Smith. And tonight, we're going to have a whole bunch of games to review, but let's get started with the usual round of questions. Emrys, how are you? I am fantastic. Are you drinking anything? Nope. Dry as ever. Do you have hydrophobia? I I don't have hydrophobia. It's just that my water glass is downstairs. Uh, I'm all comfy now. You should get a really long silly straw. Yeah, <laughs> it would be incredibly silly too to be that long. <laughs> and uh, what are you playing that isn't for the show? I haven't been playing anything that's not for the show. I've been enjoying my show game so much that that's all I've been doing. And I've been preparing for... My performance thing on Wednesday, which has me kind of nervous. Oh, that's this Wednesday. Yeah, it is. The 27th. Oh, yeah, because today is August 24th. Mm -hmm. I forgot to say that in the intro. That's That's okay. okay. This is episode 29. It is episode 29. So I basically just whiffed on that opening. Holy crap. That's why God invented editing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm probably not even going to worry about it. Yeah. Our podcast comes out polished the first time. It's true. Okay, Emrys, question of the week. What do you do when you feel creatively drained? I don't know. That's that's why I propose that as the question of the week. Are you currently creatively drained? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to motivate myself to do creative stuff when I'm like done with work and I just want to watch television and vegetate. I will have advice for you later. I'm excited to hear it. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. I'm uh, here with a damn bottle of scotch. Oh, really now? Yeah. What kind of scotch would this be? It's a cheap blended scotch whiskey I bought for camping. It was 10 bucks. Camping scotch. <laughs> yeah. I was like, eh, I'm going to get some beer for camping. Wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty good, and I poured myself more than I usually do. So look forward to the end of this episode, kids. What are you playing that's not for the show? Final Fantasy VIII fizzled out. I couldn't get into it. <laughs> really? Mainly, well, it would help if the save point system was corrected for the version I was playing. I was playing a downloaded version uh... on my PS3, and like, I wish they had save states or something, but they don't. So I still yeah. have to go by that archaic save point system, so I have to play for long stretches before I can quit, and that's a turnoff for me in this day and age. So to combat that, I played a game made by the same people, called The Last Story on Wii. Um, I started New Game Plus today, and my goodness, I love that game. It's such a good game. I've been looking for a cheap copy of that, and I found it for like $30, and I didn't pick it up. I'm kind of kicking myself. 30 bucks is isn't a bad price, especially if it's the collector's edition. It's not. Great game. I recommend everyone play it. It's by former Final Fantasy 
developers and it's an RPG, but it's just like they said, oh, what don't we like about RPGs? And they tried to change a bunch of that stuff. So a lot of the old tropes are gone. I think it, they pulled it off for the most part. It's a really good game. Voice acting's amazing and the characters are they're not just likable, they're lovable. There's a love story and it's not one of those like pissy teenage romance stories you get in some of these Final Fantasy games where they dick around 90% of the game going, oh, I kind of <laughs> love you, but I can't tell you. Like pretty early on, they're like, hey, we love each other. Let's be together. And the rest of the game, they're in love and they have a relationship. And it's awesome. It's neat that they succeeded at that. Yeah. The writing's pretty good. The localization's great. The voice acting, it all works. Question of the week. What do you do when you need creative inspiration? When I'm feeling creatively drained, the first step is to take away, you know, step away, take a break, but not for too terribly long. You might want to seek out inspiration, you know, read a book, watch a movie, whatever. But, you know, as soon as you come back to it, if we're just talking about like writing, I write everything. Even if it's bad, even if it sucks, even if whatever, I write it down because eventually there might be some part of that that I can use. With art, it's a little harder. I'll doodle and try to make something out of that. And then with music, I just kind of doodle as much as you can doodle with music, if that makes sense. It's the equivalent. I just do. I don't stop. I don't let any kind of block stop me. I keep going even if it's terrible. So you just force yourself into the zone. Yeah. And sometimes I don't get into the zone. But, you know, later on I'll look back on what I wrote or what, what I drew or whatever and go, oh, I like this part of it and I can expand on that or whatever. Yeah. It works for me. Tonight, I'm sitting here with a 21st Amendment Brewing Company, Back in Black, Black IPA. Okay, I've had that one. Yeah. It doesn't taste as pinish as most IPAs do. Mm. It, is pretty, it is pretty hoppy, not as hoppy as IPAs normally are, though. And currently, I'm not really playing anything. Really? Yeah, I've been screwing around with freelance projects, and in my free time... I have a backlog of comic books that have been piling up, so I've been reading through the current runs of Uncanny X-Men and All-New X-Men by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, I just started reading Murder Mysteries by Neil Gaiman, and I'm enjoying that so far. I'm not extremely far in. Is that a book of short stories? No. I mean, at least not so far it isn't. I believe it's going to be all the same story. It's an angel investigating a murder in heaven. An oh, angel okay. in danger... segues well more on that later first we have to ask (laughs) Kevin uh, question of the week what do you do well when I'm feeling creatively drained which is nearly all of the time it also depends on you know what I'm doing at that point in time for an illustration or a graphic design project what I'll frequently do is go on something like a design blog I I I really like the site designspiration or logopond not everything on Logopond is great, but you can at least get decent ideas or see what other hmm. people have done for similar topics. And for things like writing, I tend to go on a lot of walks. Every day oh. on my lunch break, assuming the weather isn't horrible, uh, there's a bike path within walking distance of my work. I'll walk on that path and I'll, I'll look around and stuff. And sometimes, you know, the fresh air and like the monotony of just going on a walk will inspire me. And I always make sure to have my phone with me so that I have my notepad app and I can jot ideas down into as I'm walking. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to, yeah, like Mark said, you just force yourself to write things that are horrible. Yeah. It feels terrible, though. It does. It's embarrassing. (laughs) That's why you just don't let anybody else ever see it. And, you know, maybe someday, like, you'll see that horrible thing, you'll 
think about it from a new angle and take right. something that started out horrible and turn it into something good. Yeah, I've experienced that before. Like, I did manage to get to one screenplay. Yeah, you said that was horrible, but I read it in its entirety, and I thought it was good. It's not horrible, but, like, I learned a lot doing it. Like, some parts of it, I just forced out. It, like, didn't look back. I just pushed through a scene just to get it out of the way so I would keep going. And then I went back and I read it, and I was like, oh, there's some good stuff here. Like, this line and this line. And the rest of it I can change. But it was still, like, worth it. Just mm-hmm. to get through. Alright, well, I guess we can get started with reviews then. Yeah, let's hear about Angel in Danger. Angel in Danger is by Sakis25Games, also published by Sakis25 on the iOS App Store and by Crescent Moon Games for Android. It's $1.99 on the iOS App Store, and the story goes thus. One day, Lord Debel kidnapped the Angel Princess, and now you have to rescue her. You're a chubby little cherub, you enter an evil portal that takes you to a supposedly evil land that is actually just a place that has lush green fields and flowers and clear blue skies (laughs) that for some reason has demons in it. Apparently, the subtext of this game is that the evil realm is Earth. <laughs> yeah, that should make sense. Do you watch the news? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's sort of what I was thinking they were saying, anyway. It's a 3D platforming game. It's very much in the style of Super Mario 3D Land. It has very limited exploration and fairly set paths, but there are little branches off that have hidden stars that are sort of like Super Mario star coins. It encourages going slightly off the beaten path, but there's really not a whole lot further you can go than just slightly. Power-ups are dispersed throughout the level. You can get a bow that lets you shoot arrows at a longer distance. You can get angel wings that allow you to float for short distances. This is sounding very similar to something Mm -hmm. else. Yeah, isn't it, though? (laughs) It's very challenging, because even with power-ups, you have one-hit deaths. There are small platforms that you have to, you know, precisely jump onto, and there's no such thing as wall jumps to save yourself with if you fuck up. So, it's it's a pretty simple premise to a game, you know, you just go through the levels, point A to point B. The platforming is, like I said, reasonably challenging. In fact, it took me multiple tries to get through even the levels of the very first world, which is really all the further that I got, because I just, I ran out of time. So I'm going to go into the good things on the game. I like the graphics. They're bright and cheerful. The style is very simplistic, but I've never been the kind of person to be bothered by that sort of thing. It has almost a Hello Kitty aesthetic, I guess I would describe it. The other cool thing is there really aren't many games like this on the App Store, at least not ones that are reasonably well done. Not 3D platformers. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a largely untouched genre on this platform. It is challenging. I like that about it. It, it took me forever to get to the first boss fight. The presentation of it is very polished. Like, it has, like, an opening cutscene that... I mean, it's told in single-panel drawings and everything, but the artwork is well-executed. There are a fair number of bad qualities about it as well, though. The most obvious, probably, is that the music is incredibly grating. I had to turn the volume off on it almost immediately, because I couldn't take it anymore. The title music was okay, but the in-level music was awful. Oh gosh, it's so repetitive, Like, and it just endlessly mm-hmm. loops. Another problem with it is the hit detection is somewhat wonky. There would be times where I thought I was jumping on top of an enemy, and apparently 
I was too low or too far off to the side, and he would hit me, and I would die because you have one-hit deaths. Mm. There aren't checkpoints or anything. If you die, you restart at the beginning of the level. The controls work until they don't. <laughs> I don't know that this is a problem specific to this game. I think it's any time you're trying to move a character in a 3D space with a virtual analog yeah. stick on a touchscreen, it just doesn't work. It's not flat-out broken. It works well enough, but there are times where you will get some cheap deaths because the analog stick doesn't work properly or your thumb isn't on the proper button because you you know can't feel it. So it's a good candidate for... iPhone controller? Sure. Yeah, but there's no support for it. Not yet. The other thing is, it seems a little buggy, and I'm not sure if this is just a problem with the game or me not knowing what to do, but the first boss encounter didn't go so well for me. The boss is a giant wasp, and I would hit him one time, and then he would just fly so high up in the sky that I could not hit him anymore, and he would never come back down. So like a bug or a white Anglo-Saxon um, <laughs> Protestant? Or, I can't... I already finished my scotch. <laughs> <laughs> and along that same note, like, the bee would fly so high above my head that I couldn't hit him anymore, and the camera occasionally will get in your way. Like, I couldn't see where the boss was. I could just see where I was, and I had no idea, like, where he was, and I, I no way of hitting him. My closing comments on the game are, it's good, but not great. For an early attempt... I would love to see the developer attempt a sequel or another game of the 3D platformer genre and maybe add some new elements to it and iron out some of the kinks. The angel wings that you get are really just Mario's raccoon tail and the bow and arrow that you get are really just Mario's fireballs that don't bounce and you can't aim them quite as well because the analog stick is <laughs> shitty. What if the developer made a port for 3DS? I would be willing to try it out. That would be awesome. I would love to see more mobile developers do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's worth checking out. It's, you know, it's $2. I don't know, Emerson, you, you played the Android version. What did well, you think? Well, I had mostly the same complaints that you do. Mm -hmm. I found the music to be terrible. I didn't honestly give it a, a real chance. I played through the first level long enough to lose all of my lives. I played by the Super Meat Boy standard of platforming games. Like, if I'm being measured in my lives and not on just being able to complete the level, I have no interest in that anymore. Like, I don't want to be told, oh, you failed because you fell down a hole. That's what I spend half of my time doing in a platforming game. I fall down a hole, I run <laughs> into an obstacle, you know, and it's not just the controls, it's me. I didn't really give it a, a good chance, and I found it to be kind of grating and derivative. The derivative comment is fair. It's not exceptionally original, but you could do much worse than imitating a Mario game also. Oh, yeah. To be sure. I mean, maybe not for you, you couldn't, because you hate Mario. <laughs> I do hate Mario. <laughs> I am reviewing Arcane Soul for iOS. This was developed by Mseed. I believe it's their first game. And this is free on the iOS App Store. It's also available on Android. It's a side-scrolling beat-em-up with some light RPG leveling and customization. The gameplay is your typical like hack-and-slash action on a 2D plane that you know we've all been playing for the last 30 years, <laughs> you know, except for our listeners that are 14. It looks a lot nicer though than say Golden Axe, for example. You know, and one other thing that does sort of set it apart from those games is the combat, which is 
you get like a handful of combos at your disposal and you know you can even air juggle people to get like critical hits and stuff like that and there's a like dozens of magic and special abilities that you can learn so i mean there's that that sets it apart from the older games and then also your typical like free to play skull fuckery in arcane soul there are three playable characters there's a kid who wants to be cloud strife a fufu looking schoolgirl knight and a character I'm just going to call Titty Elf. <laughs> and each one represents like a difficulty level. And of, and, and of course, Titty Elf is only for like the hardcore players. I mean, you can start as any of the three, but you can't switch between them until I think like World 4. I don't know. I couldn't get that far because, yes, yeah, so this game's fairly difficult, even on easy. The first world wasn't too bad. I completed it without dying or even using all my health potions. However, like, progression slows drastically on the second world, where it seems like enemies are really stingy with giving out health and magic when they die. And it forces you to use basically all your items really quickly, and then, you know, of course, you either have to use in-game currency that you've earned or real-world currency to get more potions and stuff like that. And I do believe you can replenish them by just, you know, your typical take-a-break-from-the-game-for-a-day or whatever like that. So the developers of Arcane Soul pride themselves on the visuals and I'd have to give them credit for the most part the graphics are really clean the frame rate is silky smooth on my iPhone 5s the backgrounds and level layouts are probably the only weakness they're a little bland and boring but the on-screen character count is also very impressive many times you'll find yourself surrounded by gosh as many as like 10 enemies having their way with your health bar and luckily you have some Nice special abilities you can use to, you know, shield or push back the onslaught. That being said, there's not a lot of combat variety. It's sort of a common problem with these kinds of games, I think. Like Ninja Gaiden, or even like the X-Men arcade game, you know, where you're just fighting waves of armies of bastards, and, you know, it can just get repetitive, no matter what your skill set. Even with a bunch of these, like, different combos at your fingertips, you're going to be seeing the same things many, 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 many times until you reach the end of the game. The controls, they work pretty well, I guess. But of course, and here I am, beating a dead horse into even more high school cafeteria meat. There's no <laughs> real physical interface, mm -hmm. so your fingers will probably wander. I missed many dodges and attacks because I accidentally hit the wrong button or no button at all. Yeah. And the layout of the interface... Also, like, it becomes more intrusive the more skills you unlock. So you have a handful of them on the screen at all times. And there are this, like, 47 total unlockable skills, which is pretty impressive, you know, from, like, powerful melee attacks to magic attacks, area attacks, you know, defensive moves or whatever. But when all is said and done, you know, you can kiss the bottom, like, third or even half of the screen goodbye. One exciting prospect of the game that I never got to see, Pets. The icon for which is this adorable little dragon. And I assume they function similarly to, like, maybe the mags in Fantasy Star Online, but I never got to see it in action. I'm really, really disappointed I never got, like, a tiny little dragon to tag along with me. So overall, I thought Arcane Soul was pretty fun for, like, the first level, but it gets old so fast. I might pick it up again later, but I'm probably not ever, never going to go as far as to, like, unlock the other two characters as much as I want to see those elf boobs jiggle. <laughs> I'm sad to hear that a game with so much like variety on paper still fell victim to being repetitive. Oh, it's still just like attack, attack, yeah. attack, 
attack, attack, special attack, special attack, jump, special attack. You have maybe a dozen combos, but do that for an hour, and even that gets repetitive. I remember that being one of, like, a real treat when I when I was younger. Like, the Ninja Turtles arcade game where, yeah, all you did was just fight waves and waves and waves of enemies. Mm -hmm. And I, I could do it for hours, and I never got tired of it. I know. We've been there, done that. Yeah, but now I play, like, the Scott Pilgrim game. I'm like, ugh. The Scott Pilgrim game is more like freaking River City Ransom because you have to earn money and level up your character before you can even get to the second level. But man, that game, graphics and soundtrack on that Scott Pilgrim game are so amazing. Oh yeah, they're great. I don't have the patience for like the grinding that you have to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know what came out last week on iOS? What? Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies. Indeed. Oh shit. Segway! <laughs> so I've been playing for the past week or so Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies for the 3DS. I reviewed the old Phoenix Wright games in a previous episode, and it really got me hankering for the latest offering on the 3DS. Uh, and it turns out to be well worth the interest. I want to start with my criticisms, because so much of Phoenix Wright is the same as the old games. My criticisms of Phoenix Wright are that there's a lot of reading. It seems like a truism in a game that's basically an interactive detective novel, but the fact is there is still just a lot of reading. It can be hard to focus sometimes, even when like the dialogue is action-packed. It's like a, a frenetic anime-style storytelling, so there's always like broad emotional words that are happening. There's usually a lot of energy in it, but this is the same reason that I can't listen to podcasts, ironically, is that I end up spacing out for a while when I'm trying to read. This is actually how I discovered a bug that made it into Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies. The game has a button that you can push to look at all the dialogue that was just said in that scene, so you can scroll up to see things that are previously read. And what would happen is, if I found myself spacing out, I would click on this little button. I discovered about halfway through the game that there are certain scenes where that button doesn't work. The dialogue is just blank. And it's definitely not intentional? It, it can't be, because 90% of the time, the review button works and the dialogue is all there. But I just found oh. a few scenes in the second trial where the dialogue wouldn't be recorded. So you would just see the, the person's name and a blank space instead of seeing what they actually said. The truth is that you can fake your way through Phoenix Wright kind of easily if you end up falling too far behind. They just ask you a question and you present a piece of evidence. And normally, you just need like a few lines of dialogue to figure out what the piece of evidence is. Unless it's like crazy obscure. Another criticism, I found a few places where the localization wasn't accurate. They would just misspell a couple words. I don't, I don't like to nitpick about that, but in a game where reading is everything, it does kind of stick out. The good news is that if you love to read, Phoenix Wright is very rewarding. I really enjoyed myself right from the get-go because they would bring back old characters and make jokes about the series tropes. 
Like how Phoenix Wright, whenever he's in a jam in a trial, he will just like make up a story to explain the evidence in a new way. And everyone like constantly makes fun of that. They call it bluffing. They're just like, bluff your way to victory, the Phoenix Wright way. And so it's enjoyable. I'm a little disappointed that some of my old favorite characters haven't come back. I'm only about halfway through the game, but I have yet to see Detective Gumshoe. There's a Detective Fulbright instead, who's just not as entertaining as good old reliable Detective Gumshoe. And the new prosecutor is just not up to the bar of the old prosecutors from Miles Edgeworth and family. Oh, he's not back? No, they have Prosecutor Blackwell, who is a convict. Well, Edgeworth got so popular, so it's like in a sitcom where like a character is like... I got my own sitcom now. I'm not going to come back. What's interesting is that they brought back Apollo Justice from his little spin-off game. Oh. The way the original series shook out is that they had a couple of Phoenix Wright games, and then they switched to Apollo Justice for one entry. Phoenix Wright was like a side character in that one. And then I think after that they did Miles Edgeworth, Perfect Prosecutor. So there hasn't actually been a real Phoenix Wright game for the two previous entries. So it's actually been a long time since um, there was a Phoenix Wright game properly. Now, who is this Apollo character? I've never even heard of him. Apollo Justice is an attorney who works for the Write Anything Law Agency. Okay. So after Phoenix Wright retired, he took Apollo Justice under his wing to be the attorney at his agency. You're trying to tell me that it's not freaking Carl Weathers? No, it's not Carl Weathers. It's, it's a Rocky joke. Apollo Creed. Hello. I'm sorry. C- crickets. I never, I never, like, I never, I watched the Rocky movies and that was it. I saw Rocky once a long time ago. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> they do make fun of Apollo Justice having the name of a sun god. There's... Like, one character who gets a big crush on him, and she starts, like, talking about how he's, he shines like the sun. He's, he's a smart guy, right? Like, you'd say he's bright? I would. <laughs> I am actually really happy to see Apollo Justice, because his special power, I always felt, was the most entertaining out of the original games. Apollo has the special ability to see when people are lying. So he brings their lies to light? Yes. <laughs> I, I can't stop you from making these jokes. All I can do is not acknowledge them. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo Justice can see when someone is lying, and what he does is he focuses on their body language. So when someone lies, they have like a little tick, and you have to scan what they're talking about and wait until that tick presents itself, and then you shout at them and say, I can see that you're lying because your right eye is twitching. And it's a pretty cool way of breaking open people's testimony. In this entry, Apollo Justice can only use his ability outside of the courtroom. So it's part of an interrogation technique when he's interviewing witnesses. Which, I'm a little disappointed that you don't get to use him more often. Instead of finding people's lies, this game is focused on finding people's psychologically analyzing people and giving them basically a therapy session while they're on the witness stand. It seems like kind of a cool mechanic. They've only used it like a couple of times in the first half of the the game. 
So I, I haven't really gotten a complex scenario yet where you have to decipher someone's innermost feelings. But it, it seems pretty cool. The game does a really good job of gradually introducing mechanics into the game. Like, the first mission is 100% tutorial, where you go up against Prosecutor Payne, who is almost incompetent. And then the second mission, they introduce investigation. I'm at the third mission now, and hopefully they'll give you full use of all the different powers. Finally, the thing I have to give the game the most credit to is that the 3D art is fantastic. That is not something that you'll see on the iOS version, which is saddening, because it's probably one of the best qualities of the game. I don't normally like the 3D on the 3DS, but I play with it on almost all the time because it's so cool to see these animated characters do all of their shtick in three dimensions. And it really adds like another layer of depth to the artwork, which is already fantastic. The character design is top-notch, and all the little emotional moments that characters go through are captured perfectly by the animations. Do they use flat artwork or do they use models? It's a 3D model that looks perfect in 2D. I don't know how they've done it, but if you turn the 3D off, it's an absolutely perfect 2D art style. So it still kind of looks like the old games if you have 3D off? It looks exactly like the old games in 2D. But if you turn it into 3D, you can see that the models actually have depth to them. It's amazing looking. And just... They captured the original animations like Phoenix tapping on a piece of paper during the testimony or Apollo Justice's startled, sweating face. All of those are exactly the same as the original DS and Game Boy Advance games, but captured in three dimensions. And it's, it's really beautiful. And it's incredibly rewarding in a game where you're reading all the time to see that every character has a huge variety of unique animations. I give Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies four convictions out of five defendants. All guilty of being excellent. (laughs) Would you say that they definitely have at least two destinies as well? Uh, Definitely at least two. That is the worst pun you've used in this episode. Me? Yeah. (laughs) They've all been pretty bad. I wasn't considering it a pun. Okay. Okay. It's okay. Mark's three sheets to the wind. He doesn't know from puns right now. I'm at least four to six sheets to the wind. <laughs> He's two, two D three sheets to the wind. <laughs> so there's this game coming out for iOS called Almight Tree. I'd like to hear about it. Almighty The Last Dreamer. It's developed by Choco Arts and published by Crescent Moon Games. Almighty starts in a way that you know it's going to be a different kind of experience than most iOS games. It's in a post-apocalyptic fantasy world that is slowly breaking down. The opening is a fully voice-acted cinematic that depicts a young man running as the ground of his world crumbles behind him. He narrates the cutscene, and in this narration you learn that everyone he loves has perished, and things are looking really hopeless for him as well. 
but he spots a withering Almighty sapling, which is apparently a mystical tree that has the power to restore the world. So he uses magic on the sapling and restores it, then takes on a quest to restore all the Almighty saplings so that maybe he doesn't have to die alone. It's a, it's a really um, melancholy game, <laughs> and a lot of the elements about it really help set that mood. But the gameplay itself is a puzzle adventure game that draws a lot of visual inspiration from Zelda. Yeah. But in terms of gameplay, not very much, other than maybe some of the block puzzles from Zelda, but I would say not even that so much. Basically... Every level is separate. Like, it doesn't have the big open world that Zelda games of old have. You start the level, and you have a limited period of time to progress from the start to the end while solving environmental puzzles by shifting and relocating blocks using a technique called plantsportation. Every block is, like, a wooden block. So you have the ability to, through magic, relocate one wooden block to another location. It requires very quick thinking... It's one of those games that's sort of like Pushmo, where you overthink the puzzle frequently, and that's actually the challenge of it. Yeah, Pushmo made me feel like an idiot. Oh my gosh, Almighty is exactly the same in that way. You'll bang your head on a puzzle, only to realize like the solution was right in front of you the whole time, and you can actually feel the developer making fun of you as <laughs> you you know can't figure out what what should be actually a really simple solution. But it's like a situation where. You know, I wasn't even intending to do this, but you can't see the forest for all the trees. Oh my gosh. And all the while you're doing this, you have this massive pressure to solve the puzzle quickly, because you can act, as you're playing, you can hear the world crumbling behind you, and like, that's like that's what the game does, like, e- even parts of that level that you've just progressed through, like, you can watch them crumble if you aren't moving quickly enough. So it's very harrowing. The gameplay and puzzle solving bears similarity to Intelligent Systems Pushmo, but it has the added element of storytelling. Like I mentioned earlier, this the story is very compelling. The main character, I'm not even sure what his name is, but he's very sympathetic. Like, he, you know, his world is being destroyed. I tend to give up on games like Pushmo after, like, the novelty phases over. I hit a wall and I just don't really move on, but the storytelling is an interesting way to keep interest in the game going. The graphics are pretty good. I would say they're probably comparable with, like, early PS2 era quality. Yeah, I didn't think the animations were great, but the graphics have that sort of quality. I really like games of that era, like, that quality. It's really appealing to me. I don't know what it is. It's like, when JRPGs move past that, it's gonna be really sad. It's like, the last generation where we're going to have those Dokapon-esque graphics. I did like Dokapon's graphics a lot. The music in the game is excellent. It suits the mood perfectly. It adds like an edge of desperation to your adventure. The crumbling sound effects make a huge difference to the atmosphere of the game. Like it really sets the mood. We did that episode about game music that, you know, like helps complete the experience of a game. The soundtrack of this game will be an excellent candidate for a future episode that we do of that. The puzzles are challenging, but fair. You never have to do a whole lot of backtracking on a level to solve a puzzle. There will be times where you have to backtrack through a level to get an older block, but you never have to do it very far. I think that's by nature of the game, because like there will be parts where actual parts of the level crumble as you progress through it. So to be fair, they don't ever make you backtrack too far. And I think that also keeps it from becoming a chore, because one of the things I really don't like about games is when I'm forced to backtrack without some kind of new aspect. It has lots of levels. Supposedly there are over a hundred levels, but I've really only made it through the first 11 or 12 of them. 
which is kind of embarrassing. This is a game that's not afraid to make you feel stupid. I kind of like that about it, too. Like, it's not going for, like, the mass market Flappy Birds Farmville appeal, where, you know, people are just like, you know, I just want something to, like, tap on mindlessly. This is a game that the levels, if you know what you're doing, are about the perfect length to play in the line at the supermarket, but God help you if you try to play it there. Yeah. You know what? They should make a mobile game all those fucking tapping games and stuff where all those taps like generate electricity for the rest of the world <laughs> <laughs> somehow i don't know how make it happen big oil would not wouldn't hear of it <laughs> yeah. oh big oil i'll fight your face <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it outside of just the gameplay itself it, it's a very simple concept but I was surprised by how fresh they were able to keep it because every couple of levels they add a new element. Like there are certain aspects of platforming games that they add to it. Like there are obstacles that require timing to progress past properly. Electrified dandelions that will shock you if you pass through them at the wrong time. And you don't die, but you lose time, which in this game, time is a huge deal. It's ever present that any second the world could start crumbling beneath you and the game could be over. Due to the presentation, I really want to know how this story ends. I don't even know the character's name, but I'm caught up in his plight, I guess you could say. Maybe the character is you. The character (laughs) is me. That's pretty great when a game can grab you emotionally like that. Yeah, you feel bad for him. It's interesting because it's a similar concept in terms of characters to Bravely Default, where I hated Tiz, the main character. (laughs) But, like, this guy's more or less the same, but for some reason I actually connected with him more. It's coming out this week, uh, so it'll be out by the time this episode releases. And I would say, yeah, it's definitely worth your time. Give it a try. One last game before we pass out. Is it time for our portable past? It's our portable potty. Potty? (laughs) That doesn't sound so good. Apparently we didn't like this game. Suddenly I noticed an intense odor of urinal cake. One time, (laughs) another podcast that I won't name had basically like a question of the week kind of thing. And I answered it on their Twitter. And when they said our name, at Portable Power, one of the guys like, oh, that sounds like Porta Potty. And that was the, basically the response. <laughs> like, okay. So I'm reviewing Castlevania The Adventure. Uh, This is developed by Konami, originally released on the Nintendo Game Boy in 1989. It is available now on the Nintendo 3DS eShop for $2.99, and that's a steal. That's a silly title, though, for a game. Like, every game is called Castlevania. This one is like Castlevania The Adventure. All those other previous Castlevania games, you know, they were were, were pretty dull. You you know, you (laughs) could really do those in your sleep. But this one, it's an adventure. Funny you mention it. The original name was Castlevania, The Legend of Dracula. They decided this was a better name. Anyway, if you've played any of the 2D Castlevania games from the 80s and 90s, you kind of know what to expect here. You're a guy with a whip, in this case, Christopher Belmont. You have to walk from left to right and from bottom to top until you reach the peak of Dracula's castle to kill him. Along the way, you'll fight all manner of, like, ghosts, zombies, wolves, bats, mermen. And when you jump, you're committed to that jump, damn it. And standard Castlevania stuff. There's not nearly enough commitment in games these days. I appreciate that. (laughs) You ever try to change the direction of your jump in real life? 
It is not easy. <laughs> I've never jumped over a chasm in my life, let's be honest. Yeah. That's too rigorous for me. Well, Castlevania is notorious for its difficulty with stairs. Because <laughs> you have to push up? No, you like those stairs in the NES game where you have to like jump? Never mind. Stairs are hard. I, you do have to do that. So this entry in the series features a few interesting deviations from its NES roots. Notably, the lack of secondary weapons like the axe, the cross, the holy water. You only have your whip, and it is upgradable, sort of, kind of. Also new in this game is this obnoxiously short timer counting down basically to your demise. Hits zero, you're dead. Finally, good gravy. Christopher is the slowest protagonist the series has ever seen like ever have one of those dreams where you're trying to run and it feels like you're in like hip deep water that's chris's life <laughs> is the soundtrack to the game a chiptune version of <laughs> it could be the soundtrack's actually not bad but it's really weird where like you're listening to the song you're like oh yeah it's that song from castlevania 2 no it's not what the it, they're not even remixes they're just like it's like they stole they'd steal like five of the eight notes in a measure and create a whole new song out of it. Castlevania The Adventure is really short. There's only four levels, and each one is timed for about ten minutes. But you are going to spend a great deal more time than that in Dracula's Castle because the game is hard, brutally, sadistically hard. Most of that stems from these new features or limitations that I mentioned previously, but also the levels, they're like that Dr. Wily level of frustrating insanity. Pits and spikes are everywhere, and sometimes they move, and the, the entire level four itself is trying to kill you harder than any of the creatures that reside within its walls. And speaking of, this iteration of Dracula's home is, is like an architect's hell. It's like an interior designer's worst nightmare. Most video games feature levels that are very much impossible to translate into the real world. Bowser's Castle or anything from Mega Man comes to mind. They do crazy things with lava. Right. Nobody has lava in their house. <laughs> you know, the levels are, they're cool. They're fun. They're usually pretty cleverly designed, but no one could actually live there. Do you ever think about that? Like Dr. Wily or Bowser or Dracula sitting on their couch and being like, well, Dracula probably wouldn't contend with this, but, like, Bowser or Dr. Wily being like, I really want a sprite, and they have to, like, leap across, like, pits of lava yeah. to get to get to the fridge. Exactly. <laughs> well, this castle beats them all. It is silly. There are <laughs> very few stairways. Like, instead, you're consistently using ropes to get to the next floor. Everywhere. Ropes. Just ropes. It's ridiculous. It's high school gym class all over again. It is. Garth Algar would not do well here. In the end, though, nostalgia wins. I played the shit out of this game when I was a kid, and I really, truly enjoyed it. I don't enjoy it as much now, but it's not the worst Castlevania game. It's maybe one of the worst. Did you beat it? No. I never beat it in my life. I got to the last level. <laughs> the fourth level. I don't know. I still like it. Even with Restore Points, the experience... Imagine being a teenager... Like your horny-ass teenager self. <laughs> trying to have dry sex with an inflatable Steve Urkel doll. Like, <laughs> that's, 
Why Steve Urkel? That's why. That's what trying to beat this game is like. It's futile. You're never going to reach <laughs> orgasm. So. <laughs> but wait. Yeah, I guess. I guess. It, I guess it matches up because you're never gonna beat it. Yeah. <laughs> that's my review for for Castlevania: The Adventure. And a little side note here at the end. Somehow this flew completely under my radar until I was preparing for this review. But in 2009, for the Wii. On the eShop, they did a remake, like a 16-bit remake of this game, and it's, like, way better. I need to get it. I, I looked at it. It's 10 bucks, and I, I really want to play it. I can't really recommend this game for anybody. I guess if you're a Castlevania completionist, go for it. I can't wait until, like, the Game Boy Advance and DS Castlevania games are available to download because, oh my gosh, those are the best Castlevania games. How about it? Those were so good. Symphony of the Night's amazing, and I played it a little bit recently, but those GBA and DS games like took everything Symphony of the Night did and just sort of expanded on it, and they're incredible. I cannot wait. I really hope they get released. Halloween's coming, and I hope Nintendo does another crazy thing. They're like, hey, it's Halloween. Here's the entire month of October, all the Castlevania games. That would be pretty sweet. That's my wet dream for the evening. Not Steve Urkel, then. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm over him. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for this episode. Our next episode will be mid-September, ideally. Thanks for listening. Go to portablepower.popularoutcast.com, clear your cookies, and then click the big purple Amazon banner. Helps us out. Helps out the popular outcasts. You don't have to pay any more, but we get a cut of what you spend, and that's a pretty sweet deal. Also go to iTunes, rate and review us. Talk to us. Twitter, at portablepowerfm. Facebook.com slash PortablePowerPodcast and email us at PortablePowerPodcast at gmail.com. Would you like to talk about the question of the week? Maybe you have some advice for us regarding creativity. That's great. I'd love to hear it. Maybe you would like me to drink less scotch next episode. That's fine. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. What if they want you to drink an equal amount of better scotch? Well, I don't have that kind of money. So <laughs> <laughs> this was $10. And yeah. I've drank half Ugh. a bottle in a week. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. It's okay. Powering through. Who wants to be at their son's graduation? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you had to specifically go for the son. You couldn't say their kids. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you know. You worried about me? Life is hard, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I just My coping mechanism is drinking half a bottle of... Cheap scotch over a week. <laughs> That's really pathetic, actually. I'm the worst alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, I'm already two beers in, so clearly I'm in asshole mode. Yeah, are you drinking two of the same beer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't switch beers up because that derails the whole show. Yeah. Your drunk gets all confused. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of, if you're underage, don't drink. But if you are of age, drink responsibly. Don't be like us. Unless you're just going to sit at home and record a podcast. That's cool. Unless you're so phone awkward that you need it to make a Skype call. Yeah. Drink as much as you want if you're recording. <laughs> Are we all phone awkward? Because I'm very phone awkward. I'm yeah. super phone awkward. I avoid the phone. Oh, yeah. Hate it. <laughs> and you were a telemarketer. Mm. No. I didn't call people. They called me. I was a customer service representative. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, it would have been even worse if I'd been a telemarketer. Cause, gosh, that's... It's horrible. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Despite all the weirdness, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Good night.
Or that. I like the, that. The too. burp of approval. I give it that. So, okay. Are you shaking your cheeks out? No, that was me like flicking my tongue in and out of my mouth really fast. It sounded disgusting. Oh, it's it's the worst noise in the world. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you got to keep those exercises in your repertoire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For later. It's true. <laughs> yes. For the ladies. <laughs> or whatever. Or what? Or doesn't whatever. have to. Doesn't have to just be the ladies. Some dudes like their chocolate Cheerio tickled like that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the magic I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's exactly it. <laughs> Can't plan that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> oh, thank God! Thank goodness you waited till the end to do that. I know, I know. I would. I'm sorry. I would like turn my head away from the microphone, but I'm wearing it on my head. Yeah, I'm still getting over my AIDS. Your AIDS. You have the yeah. AIDS. I'm the first Ebola patient in America. Hmm. Apparently, I don't Good know. Good job. Yeah, I know, it's fun. Uh, no, I'm just still getting over that shit that I've had for the past week. Got out camping. I, I think the raccoons gave it to me. Ew. You met Rocket, I see. <laughs> I met Red Rocket. 